Ginny loves, Ginny loves Oak Crest, and so do we, obviously, by extension. And as Kate mentioned, um, we have our own little educational project in Southern California. So uh, we pray for and share in the growth, this amazing facility, and the success of, of Oak Crest. And we know very well um, that everyone in here has made a very specific choice, a very conscious decision to send your daughters to Oakcrest for a very specific reason. And you're making great sacrifices, financial, uh, logistical. Um, what a, someone was telling me, you're trying to get their child in the open house. They wanted to get here from Fredericksburg. I thought that was pretty amazing. Um, but you're making great sacrifices to make sure your, your daughters can come here. And in turn, your daughters are making a lot of sacrifices and working very hard to get into the very best colleges and universities that they can get into. And you're probably going to a lot of debt to, to um, make that happen. But I just want to emphasize tonight the most important, as important as it is to have a school like Oak Crest partnering with you to help form your children, the most important school your daughter or daughters will ever attend is your home. It's your dinner table, it's your breakfast table, and the most, the greatest influence on their future happiness and well-being is the family life that you're creating right now. Um, so uh, uh, we are here to share a few little things. There's no, unfortunately, there's no system we can explain that you can just take and implement. I wish there was. <laughs> Um, we don't have any secret knowledge. Um, everybody's parenting style is different. Everybody's personal situation is different. Their temperament, their energy level. You have to do it the way you do it. Um, but I, over time, have collected a few, I call them aphorisms, parenting aphorisms, that have stood me in very good stead over the years. And sometimes if you just have that one line that you can, it's a little touchstone and you can go back to and remind yourself, okay, this works, this is important. Um, they're, they're very helpful. Um, I, uh, I sometimes feel like in, our, in parenting, uh, well, we had, we had nine children in 15 years, so we've really been flying by the seat of our pants. Mm -hmm. And mostly it's like a 30,000 feet in a cloud bank with turbulence. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's... Uh, but we've had a really good navigational system. I think that's the important thing. So whatever the, the particular unique circumstances we have, we, we have to have those little north stars. And my little, so I wanna share a few little north stars if it's, if it's helpful. Um, and one of, those, one of those aphorisms, I think, is that we always tried to emphasize uh, character over personal achievement. And we've always wanted our children to work towards ideals above or beyond goals. Um, that, that, their, that their character was more important than their so-called success. Um, so it's not just a matter of how do my kids turn out, but it's how are they influencing their friends? How are they influencing their classmates? Are they contributing to raising all boats? It's not just about their success, or frankly, our success as parents. Um, so um, 
One of, uh, one of the little aphorisms I've used is, uh, and this, I, if y'all, any of y'all are familiar with Jim Stinson, have any of y'all read any of his books? So I'm cribbing this straight from him, so if, you, if you've heard it before. But one of his um, definitions I like very much is maturity. And he says maturity is not, uh, is not when you can take care of yourself. It's when you can take care of others and want to. Um, and that's what we're trying. We want our children to be, to not just be successes. We want them to be basically good citizens. We want in, in, in society, but also within their families, within their marriages. Um, so how, how do you get someone to get to that point where they're, uh, that they are not just willing to take care of themselves or not just capable of taking care of themselves, but they're, they are wanting to take care of others, see, aware of their needs. And, and I think these, can, these things, these big ideals can come in the most seemingly insignificant moments. And one of those daily insignificant moments is when you pick your daughter up at school. In our little, in our little school, our headmistress did a little talk to the parents on the first day back to school. And it was a very good talk. And a couple of points she made, I remembered very distinctly. She said, when you pick up your child from school, she said, don't ask them, did you have a good day at school? She said, that's boring anyway. You ask them, what did you learn in school today? You'll get a much more interesting answer. But she took it further. And she said, don't, and don't ask them, oh, and was Susie mean to you again today? And did the teacher make you sit up front again today? Don't, don't ask those questions because you will get the, yes, Susie was mean to me again today. And yes, that teacher was, you know, shamed me in front of everyone. You, you get what you ask for. <laughs> you, you want to cultivate, and, and, and frankly, and then what you have is a little girl who's nursing her hurts. And I'm not saying they don't have hurts, but you, they're going to cultivate that and they know they're working you as the mom or the dad, whoever's doing the pickup that day. So a better question to ask is, did you share your cookie with Susie today? Did you make, did you sit with the little girl who never has anybody sitting with them at the lunch table? You're showing them by the questions you ask the behavior you value. And you value that they are not just worried about themselves, that they're worried about others. And here's the best part. They will be happier than if you say, did Susie, you know, was Susie mean to you or did the teacher pick on you or whatever? Because then they'll just be unhappy. But if you, if you get them out of themselves, they'll actually be, be happier children. Um, let's see. Uh, I, just, I, want, I, I owed y'all a little preparation, so I apologize. But um, I think another, um, uh, another interesting thing is parents. This is an aphorism, and I'm, I'm actually I'm, I'm touched. I got this aphorism from a parent who's sitting in the audience tonight. I think I may cry because they have a great deal of influence in the way we teach our children. But um, this aphorism I picked up many, many years ago. And she said, children don't want to live by, they won't live by your rules, they'll live up to your expectations. They don't want to live by rules, they want to live up to your expectations. And I would, I would just, in, by way of example, I'll start with the, the opposite. I remember hearing a, a speech by former President George W. Bush once, and he had a line in there, a speechwriter, I guess, did it, 
it had a line in there that said the the low uh, the soft. soft bigotry of low expectations, and it was in completely different context than the speech. But I think sometimes we as parents actually do sadly can have low expectations of our children. We can say things not not in achievement, but in character or behavior. We have we can oh. Uh, well, I know this is girls' school, but you know, boys will be boys, or what can you expect, or kids will be kids. We do, we, we've already lowered our expectations, and our children will live up to them if they're low, and, but if they're high, they'll live up to them there. Um, so, uh, so we really have to be, we, we have to be demanding, um, uh, or not, we, we need to have high expectations and they'll live up to them. I have a um, uh, nephew, I was talking to my sister preparing for this talk, and she told me this story that, um, that her, her son, my nephew, ended up going to the University of Virginia and living on the lawn, very accomplished, smart young man. And, but in his junior year, he was talking about trying out for this, um, for this uh, he was gonna run for the president of this group on the grounds. And, but he had a good friend, and they, they both wanted to run for president. And, but they came to an agreement, look, I we don't want to split the vote. I won't run, so you can run, and we'll have our agenda accomplished in this group. Well, then the guy who was going to run for the president of the group made a few bad missteps, fumbled the ball a little bit. Um, and so some of the some of their friends were coming to my nephew and say, will you please run for president because we, we need you. This guy is not going to be what we thought he was going to be. And so he comes home and he talks to his mother and he says, you know, it's, I wasn't looking for it. I was going to let it go, but they're coming to me. You know, I, I, they, I owe this to them. And, and, uh, and, and actually, it would be really good if I got that presidency because then I'd probably get on the lawn. I could live on the lawn. And my sister said, but you gave him your word. And he said that the first time anyone had brought that point up to him, that that was a, not that that meant he couldn't do it, but he at least had to own it and discuss it. But, but everybody else was thinking, what would be good to position yourself? But, but as, as parents, I think we have to remind our children that their character is more important than their achievements, even when it means something like living, living on the lawn at the University of Virginia. Um, and, and, and also, um, talking about living, they don't want to live by rules, they, they live up to your expectations. The truth is, rules are only, they're really almost for home management. Once they go off to college, if they, don't, if they haven't bought in, if they haven't made it their own, they're going to ditch those rules. Um, <laughs> the, I, I don't know if this is actually a kosher example to use, but um, um, I, have a, I have a daughter who, um, so we, I, I actually think I've, I've missed a certain part in my talk because I think this was supposed to follow up on, a, on another point of, um, of making a really vibrant home life, that that is ultimately the antidote to all these behaviors. But so um, my daughter, um, uh, would go off to, she went off to UCLA. This is not, not that daughter, it's mm -hmm. another daughter. And you go to these parties, 
and the usual opening salvo to make conversation would be, oh, uh, do you drink? And, and Molly's response was, oh, only with my parents. I'm not advocating you know, <laughs> the vibrant home life is, is <laughs> alcohol-infused, but, but more that you, she had that gumption when she went off to college because she, she had a family life where that she, it, it immunized her to the, to the um, challenges off in college. Um, so we really do want to create a home life that's so compelling and a family ethos that uh, is so strong and frankly so fun that they're not attracted to the lesser goods or the bads of, of the culture out there. And also that they have the strength, frankly, to struggle against their own, we all have our own worst selves, we all have our weaknesses, we all have to struggle. So you, you want them to have that, and I think Martin will talk about this a little bit more, that, that, fam that vibrant family life. Um, but, uh, so, so you want to have that culture. Um, so, uh, but I do want to briefly touch on two other little points that I think are important to inculcate in your children for their future happiness, not just for behavior management at home. And, and, and those two, and I think it's especially important for girls, one is resiliency and one is delayed gratification. The old-fashioned terms were fortitude and temperance. But I think resiliency and delayed gratification have a little more resonance. Our job as parents is not to just string together as many pleasurable or exciting or frankly even enriching activities that we can to make our children uh, feel fulfilled or build their resume or check their bucket list off. Um, the goal, I think, rather, is to, I think the temptation for parents is we want to ease their way. We want them to be, to be happy and we, to reach their dreams, you know, just do what you, do what you dream. But I think it takes a stronger parent to let them labor and to suffer and to suffer the consequences of their choices, not just oiling the way for their enjoyment. Um, this is an extreme example, but I think it makes the point. I, um, my brother-in-law was a, a coach for Little League, and this was when the, it was probably T-ball, or no, I guess it was Little League, but anyway, and they used to hire high school students, high school boys, to be the line umpire. And you know, they were at a game, and this one very popular, very good-looking uh, teenager was not paying attention to the game, and he was flirting with the girls in the stands, and he had his little big gulp, and he just wasn't taking the <laughs> game seriously, you know. And finally, my brother-in-law had to go over there, and he said, you know, we're, we're paying you. Would you please just pay attention to the game? You know, it's almost over. Well, before either the boy had a chance to respond or my brother-in-law to go back to the dugout, that boy's father raced out of the stands, got in my brother-in-law's face and said, you have no right to talk to my son. You have, you, how dare you question my son? Uh, I mean, this, obviously this is an extreme example, but we, we, can, we can see aspects where we think we're going to be our child's advocate, and we think we're going to be their, their champion. 
but maybe it's better to let them bear the consequences of, of what they, you know, what would be the natural consequences. Uh, there's another little example. We were at a wedding reception last weekend. We were talking to a teacher uh, in sixth grade, not at Oakcrest, obviously, and she teaches science. And in their school system, and she was teaching, teaching labs. And the little boy, the sixth grader, broke a, I don't know, a beaker, I'll say. And the policy at that school is if you break lab equipment, the parent is invoiced for the cost of the broken lab equipment. And so she uh, sent the email with the invoice, didn't hear back, didn't hear back, had to send it again. The parent writes back and says, um, I want to know whether that beaker was uh, new or not. Otherwise, I want it amortized. Um, so, and, and she said, well, she had to write back, and she goes, well, this is, Actually, it's the cost, it's the replacement cost, not the value of the beaker, you know. <laughs> and, um, but what she said, what she wanted to write was, when are you going to have your child accept the consequences of, he should be out cutting the grass two or three times, mm. earning the money to pay for the broken beaker, as opposed to you running, in a, and so, you know, this is why these children, it, behave this way is because their parents are enabling it and they that parent probably thought no child of mine you know they think they're being good parents when they're doing these things um maybe it's just cheap i don't know but um <laughs> but anyway um but it, we we do have to remember that our children are not hothouse plants I, I mean especially with the daughters jenny will tell you you know no drama queens allowed in this house maybe we did have that rule but anyway <laughs> um no emotional uh, manipulation. We highly valued low maintenance simplicity, and um, and and ultimately that translates to resiliency. Bearing the consequences of our conduct makes them more resilient, um, and 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 happier, and happier. Um, and then very quickly, uh, this idea of delayed gratification. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with the marshmallow test. Is that? This is a book, it, you can get it on Amazon, I recommend it, it's a, it's a worthwhile read. But they did these uh, tests where the child was put in a room and you could have one marshmallow now, or if you would wait, you could have the, and the two marshmallows later, or something like that. And they've done all these extrapolation studies from this, and they realized that the children who had developed the capacity to say no to the immediate marshmallow, later on they, they had larger, uh, retirement accounts. I mean, it just it translated into <laughs> all sorts of good, you know, success. Um, however, you want to um, work on that. But, um, but, but how do so? So, if we want that for our child, if we want her to have that, if we want our daughters to have that, how, what does that look like now? How do you get them to practice um, this delayed gratification? Well, that you know not constantly checking their Instagram, or um, uh, not seeing the movie the night it comes out. You know, I always say, just because Hollywood says jump doesn't mean we say how high, you know. Um, or even, uh, well this is an example from boys, but they have to have this sports equipment, whatever that sports equipment was. And in, in our sense, the, the boys wanted, my son wanted these unbelievably expensive batting gloves, you know. And I just thought, you know, Babe Ruth didn't need that. You know, you just, you just said you don't have to give them everything they want when they want it. Um, 
and, and, and this, these, and I'm, I'm not saying don't buy your girls good cleats. I'm not, I, these, these are, these aren't, these examples are trying to be representative, not declarative. But I will insist that if they don't learn how to say no to themselves in these little, silly, insignificant things, how are they ever going to learn to say no to themselves for premarital sex or, or other much more significant things? Um, I actually heard once, I, going, I, I attend these talks too, <laughs> um, that this one mom says in the, in the um, Orthodox Jewish community, they had very little problem with premarital sex because girls said, oh, we've been saying no to pork all our lives. We can say no to these guys <laughs> that are you know, putting the moves on, no problem. I think, frankly, with delayed gratification, one of the biggest things is, frankly, how do we model delayed gratification? Um, you know, do we impulse shop or do we wait for the handbag to go on sale? Are we already signed up you know, for the iPhone 10 waiting list? Um, um, you know, are we on our phone all the time? Actually, my daughter, another daughter, told me there's actually an app that an app that will track how how long you're. And she said she was, and she's not particularly attached to her phone. You wouldn't believe how many hours a day we are on our phones, not just our our daughters. Um, but so that that actually brings me to another sort of aphorism: Do we want better kids? We have to be better people. The hardest part about parenting is not how we we're going to get our kids to behave better, it's how we're going to get ourselves to behave better. And that's really the bad news. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, I, I remember very well, I was talking to a, a friend of mine, a neighbor down the street, and we were having one of those conversations, you know, you, you, you're pulling up to the driveway, but you see him on the street, so you pull up and you roll down the window and chatty, chatty, chatty. And, and her uh, son came out and said, Mom, um, your work is calling. They want you to come in. And she, without skipping a beat, turns. She goes, oh, tell him your grandmother's sick. I can't do it. It was just a bald-faced guy. And, and she's a good friend of mine. And, and I realized, though, they now, now your children know that when they get in a tight spot, it's OK to lie. That's what you do to get out of inconvenient situations. And then you, we wonder why our kids are lying to us to get out of trouble, you know. So we have to be very careful on the behavior um, we model. So the good news is we don't have to be perfect models. <laughs> we don't, um, what, what they, they don't need to see us perfect. And in fact, frankly, the children see our imperfections even more than we see them ourselves. And in fact, I think that's even one of the things is because then we, when we start you know, getting on them and say, you should be this and you should do that, they, they start tuning us out because they think of us as hypocrites. And so, so we can't be the perfect parent, but what they, they don't, and they don't need to see that. What they need to see is that we're struggling. We're struggling with our own defects. We're trying to be better. We're, we we um, don't, uh, and, and that, they, that what they need to see is witness is the struggle, not the perfection. And, and I think it's important just to, to show that struggle with, with a sporting spirit, that, we, that we're serious of purpose, but we don't take ourselves seriously. And we can laugh at ourselves, we fail, 
we get back up, we go to confession, we fail again, we, we begin again. And that's a model that will stick with them for the rest of their lives. And, and of, course, of course, we count on God's grace. He's given us the very specific grace to raise the very children we have. And, and we just need to access that grace through prayer and the sacraments. And, and here's my last aphorism, that if we do that, then our children will be better than we are. And that's certainly true. It's fine. Well, speaking of struggling with defects, uh, <laughs> one of my defects is using technology. And so some of the things I want to use right now are on an iPhone. And so, Ginny, if you could come up here, Miss Bowles, and. Uh, because she's got the same ones. If you could isolate the, the emails from your brothers and sisters in case mine runs out. But uh, let's see if my, my phone is dead. Nope, it's still alive. We'll, we'll try and get through some of these. Well, I, I was on an airplane flight, of course, this morning and, and uh, putting together an outline for this talk. But as John Lennon said, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. So I put together this talk about what worked and what didn't work for parenting Little did I know that Ginny had written her eight brothers and sisters saying we were giving this talk, you know, weigh in, chime in. And so she, so I get off the airplane probably just about three hours ago and get this string of emails and half of what I thought I was going to say was wrong. So, <laughs> so I'm just going to give it to you straight. It's, it's amazing what you learn ten years after your children leave the home. I think that's one of the themes perhaps is that as parents we don't always know. But, right, but would, would I could, if you could get the three they sent you, and not excluding Thomas's, but maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll be able to. Uh... Okay, so uh, this, this one has to do, this is one daughter, talking about friendships. I'm just going to give you these quotations because I think they're kind of, they're pungent because they're fresh, they're unedited, they're not filtered through me, and they're somewhat humorous and sometimes at our expense. But, uh, and, and they kind of tie in with some of the things Julia said and some of the things that, that, uh, that survive uh, you know, this tattered piece of paper after I got all these emails. So, so one of them said, um, you know, I, honestly, I did have many friends because Mama and Daddy taught us it was our duty of charity to make everyone, especially new kids, feel welcome. So it's sort of endorsing what, what Julia said about that. Um, this daughter felt like she had lots of friends, and she did have lots of friends, but it was because you know, Julia would instill this, this ethos and lived it herself of, we're not here just to kind of have good conversations or share good gossip, or, but, but go out and find that lonely person, find that, that one who's sitting alone, or with the boys I would always say, I want you to find the girl who's, who no one else is asking to dance. I want you to ask her to dance before you ask any other girl to dance twice, and, and that sort of thing. And, and so they made friends. It's one of those things where you give more, you, you become more happy. Another thing, and this, this ties in with what Julia said about th this idea that we have to be proactive and intense in setting a family culture. And some of us are not inclined to do that. We're, we're very busy at work. We're maybe a little more introverted. We get home, we want to watch the football game or read a good book. We want to do good things, play around a round of golf, 
but we have to, our intellect has to tell our will, uh, no, you overcome that, that emotional desire even for a good thing. We, I am a CEO of this family culture. And if I'm not, if I don't lead it with the same vision, thought, strategic planning, and creativity, and elan that I bring to my business success, then what, I, what we want to achieve will fail. Oakcrest will keep that effort from being overrun by bad friendships in the culture. But Oakcrest can't do it unless we're doing it at home. And so, so that's my little intro. That's my platitude for what, uh, what this daughter said was, when you, when you mom, mom and dad, used to have movie nights at our house every month for all, and invited out over all the high schoolers, it gave us a lot of points with friends. We always had people over. Parents need to open up their home and dinner table and sofas to their children's friends. In other words, not just use the family culture of the dinner table, maybe probably the most important thing we do, which means dads especially, how often do we have family meals? We've got to be doing that, if not 21 meals a week, at least one, or, 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 or some, something that we really set our minds to, and then that the conversations, these things have to be put away the World Series, even when you live in Los Angeles, has to be turned off for that family meal. And we talk, and we, and we laugh, and we get to know each other, and we have fun. Uh, the parentals, that's uh, the little term that I guess is used for us behind our back. <laughs> the parentals also helped us not to seek love and attention through popularity alone, which is so important. There were about six O's there for self-esteem and happiness. I remember I was going to a baseball game with, a very, with very popular friends. I was about to leave with a kind of skimpy tank top. And Daddy said, you don't want to wear that shirt, do you? Meredith, I'll give you a name. <laughs> People aren't going to respect you in that. I was pretty bummed out, but then it soaked in later. I don't remember that incident. But OK, there's, there's one. Uh, Okay, that, so here's another one. Parties and dances. I wrote, I retitled this one. Parties and dances and phones. Oh, my. <laughs> Tr uh, Therese, we'll call her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do get to edit the recording of this, right? <laughs> Having a brother to go to parties with was, was good. Uh, one of our first pitches for having a large family. I liked having no curfew, but I knew if I stayed out too late, I'd be in trouble. So I had to use my judgment, my freedom and judgment, to know when to come home. So good. With parties and popularity, it was very clear on the first day of school and at dances that we were, were, were there to make other people have fun. New kids, dorks, etc. <laughs> so it kind of kept you from thinking about yourself too much. We had a lot of fun parties at our house, so I didn't feel like my social life was being stifled or anything. I guess she's referring to if we said she couldn't go to a sleepover or at somebody's house we didn't know or go to some movie that we thought was questionable. Here's, an, here's a challenging one. Delaying phones and social media was the best decision you made ever. <laughs> Five exclamation points. I wish you hadn't let us have a phone before driving because I did dumb things with it, not specified. And I probably had an email a little bit too soon, too. But still, 
your rules were the best decision ever. So much of peer pressure and popularity problems come from social media. Peer pressure didn't bug me at all in high school because I had a very clear idea from mom and daddy that we were on a mission for something bigger and better, high ideals and high principles. And last one. I think one of the keys to all of this is having your own fun as a family. You have to have an alternative to whatever you're saying no to. So that's a, that's a little bit of a real-time feedback. I wanted to focus on the role of dads with daughters. And as I, um, and these are things that I partly got from this person that I'll talk about later that Julia mentioned, Jim Stenson. They're partly things I just sort of found myself doing over 28 years. And so I hadn't ever tried to synthesize them in a series of sentences before. But as I did that on the airplane, I ended up coming up with what I call the five, what I'm calling now, the five A's, which are, let's see if I can remember them, attention, affirmation, uh, yeah, attention, affirmation, affection, I guess it's the four A's, and, assert and assertiveness. So to take them in order, attention, we, Girls get into trouble, I think, when they're at that age where they're built to get attention. They're built, the species is built to attract, especially someone of the opposite sex. Uh, part of God, how God made us and, and, uh, and what, we're a little bit, what we're a little bit miswired through original sin. So our daughters need So dad, we, some of the things that... Uh, I sort of found myself doing that mostly I was imitating my own father in doing, uh, not just with my sister, but with me as well, is we should always, always greet, not just our daughters, but every single person in our family when we see them. And we should greet them with joy. Whatever comes natural to us, that our form of enthusiasm and joy. And I, again, this is not something I wrote out or sort of had in my mind as a, as a, as a rule going across some scrolling through my brain, but just uh, the habit of even seeing them throughout the day. Every time I would see, uh, to this day, I see my, my two boys at home, I have a little thing I shout out to them. It, it's, uh, sometimes it gets a little monotonous for them, but, uh, and, and, it, and it has different sort of uh, etymologies that are kind of absurd when you sort of see the end result, but they, they become kind of a fun code between each child and me. It usually involves the, the kind of the common ingredients, the generic ingredients would be a nickname that comes from when a younger brother and sister was just learning to talk and couldn't pronounce the name. So you may be wondering what Miss Dean Bowles is, is called by me. But, uh, but, so, but, we, but her name, uh, Ginny, uh, for some reason I kind of adapted it to some rhyme or cartoon I once saw that had something about uh, some that 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 and I'd say Ginny Gin Gin Ginny Gin Gin. To this day, if I do this, <laughs> so we had that. But we did like when I saw her tonight after after not seeing her for some time. I we were hugging each other. I did it, <laughs> and she did this to me a little a little Morse code. And but we would do that throughout the throughout the house. And it is it silly as it sounds. And I have one of those kinds of things along with a nickname with each child. 
The point is, and I wasn't even explicitly making a point at the time, is I am so glad to see you. I'm noticing you're there, and it's special for you to be there. It's a special thing between just you and me. So that, that's just, I'm not prescribing that. I'm describing it as one way to live this idea of attention to our daughters. And so those are kind of the, the things to do or, or ideas to do. Some of the things to avoid that can just extinguish that are these things. You know, we can, we can become people who are walking in, looking at this, looking at the dinner table, looking at it all the time. When we, when we come in, we ought to just check this until, and then have a designated time uh, to look at it. Unless you know, the deal's going to close, or obviously we all have times of emergencies. Another thing that I would suggest we check ourselves on, dads, our hobbies. Do we have hobbies outside the home? Golf. I don't care what it is. Golf. Maybe it was ski bumming, uh, preparing for the marathon, the squash game, the, the basketball game, fantasy football. I don't know if in this very fast-paced, competitive professional world we all live in, where many of us not only have to serve our clients or our customers, but have to spend a lot of time necessarily outside the home doing business development. Do we have time for hobbies other than what we do in our family? Now, I did take up skiing once again with, with a vengeance when my kids were old enough to do it, and now I enjoy it more than ever. So I think we have to delay some of those things or enfold our family in them. Okay, so that's attention. The other one is affirming our daughters. We need to be the one, they're going to seek that affirmation, they deserve that affirmation, and we should be very much a primary person giving that to them. And, I, and just to pick one obvious dimension of that, and that is affirming that they are beautiful. Because they are beautiful. They're made in the image, uh, image and likeness of God. They are beautiful in God's eyes. They will be beautiful in eternity. And, and we should be saying to them, as often as we can, you, you, look, you look gorgeous, you look beautiful. And, um, and really, especially because going hand in hand with uh, what I'm going to talk about soon, which is modesty, norms of modesty. Because they may feel if our daughters dress more modestly than what's out there in the culture and what's being promoted in the culture, I feel frumpy or something like that. No, they, they, should, they should, daddy thinks I'm beautiful. They should really feel that. And, and that goes to the third one, which is being affectionate. And, I, and that means physically affectionate in an appropriate way, and I'm actually not the most, I'm the most sort of naturally maybe affectionate person in some respects. So what I always did is, again, is sort of make it a little clownish. And, and the thing, again, this is my little thing, but I get kind of a uh, rough 5 o'clock shadow around the chin late at night, so I'd, I'd, I'd always give a big, I'd call it a scratchy beard kiss, where I'd just bury my chin into their cheeks. And then I'd see them across the room, and I'd say, oh, Meredith, come here, I want to give you a scratchy. And she'd say, no, 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 and run away. But, but e even though it was, it was all, it was lighthearted and fun and playful, the message was, I love you, and I love you affectionately. And, um, okay, then the fourth is, is, and all of those, those three things together, will keep them from seeking those things from a boy who is a cad, or girls who are catty, uh, or, um, or, or uh, 
Yeah, so it's so th those things, they, they give them their self-confidence. And, and another part of that, too, is, again, a plug for a large family, if you can have one, is that when they have other brothers and sisters who, who soaked in the same values, even though the, the personalities would be all over the map as well as some of the misbehaviors and so on. But it gives, we've seen that again and again, not just in our family, but in other families. You get pure strength to fight off peer pressure. It's almost like you wouldn't think of doing such and such because we're bringing such and such a person home, uh, especially because their brother and sister see them at school, see them at the dances. So it is a great form of solidarity in goodness and self-confidence, uh, and as well as a, a blast, a joy to have a big family. It's worth any sacrifice. And the people who taught us that, uh, that couple that DeMarcellus is there in the audience. Um, but so though, that's attention, affirmation, and affection. The last one is assertion or assertiveness. There are some things, dads, that we have to be the ones to say and to dictate. And I would say in particular the area of modesty. And we all know, half of the people in the audience, we all know what our wives do not get and often don't believe, which is how visually provoked we are by even a little skin showing on a shoulder or in a back. Uh, and uh, so because, and even in, I mean, in our school, which is a wonderful group of families like this, and in other venues where Julia and I talk, you have very, very good parents, very, very good people, you know, a lot of them Catholic or strong Christians, and I'd say nine out of ten of the wives don't get it. And it's understandable. So, and also, moms are fighting all the other battles with the daughters on this and that and that and that and that. So, it, you know, it's, it's understandable that, that they would give up on this one. And they want their daughter to be loved and, and, and popular and so on. So, dads, this is one where we have to lay down the rules, where we have to have that, that good friendship with our daughters that we can talk to them about what it does to boys when they, uh, when they dress them modestly. And... Um, a phrase that uh, we got from a priest friend of ours it, that can be sort of a, a slogan or a principle to try to convey is we, they should want to be admired, not desired. And another thing that's, uh, that is helpful, it was, it's getting less and less helpful as the years go by in terms of the recognition of this person, but at our school, we had a substitute teacher who was the most popular substitute teacher at all, of all because she'd been an actress in a very well-known kids show called the Power Rangers. She was the white Power Ranger. She's actually a Filipina, but she, I guess her costume is white. But she's known as the white Power Ranger. Her name is Jessica Ray. And it, it's worth writing down that name, R-E-Y, Jessica Ray. If you Google her Jessica Ray in bikini, she does, she's come up with a, uh, uh, a line of apparel of, of modest swimwear. And she gives a very persuasive talk, that sort of girl to girl, about what it does to boys when they see a girl dressed immodestly. And, and she cites brain studies that show that when a boy sees a girl dressed immodestly, she's specifically talking about bikinis, the same little part of the brain lights up as when a boy sees a power tool, something he can use to conveniently get where he wants faster. The, this comes down to two things that I would commend. One is just generally this idea of confident parent leadership. Again, this comes from Jim Stenson. Confident 
parent leadership. And there's two, it's the beginning and ending words that matter there. Leadership, we've talked about that, that we have to be as much leaders in the home as our wives are, and leaders in the home, and more so than, we're, than we are in the workplace or, or wherever else we, uh, you know, we uh, endeavor. And the other part is confidence, because it's some of these things are not popular. And you saw, you know, when I said to Meredith, I didn't even remember saying this, you can't wear that tank top to the, to the ball game. She was bombed, as she said. Uh, but she's glad now, and she gets it now. And we have to be tough. And it is not trendy. Some of you, if you go look up Justice John Roberts' commencement speech this spring to his junior high school boys prep school in New Hampshire, he gives what is otherwise a very good speech. It's a boys' school. And then he makes the quip and says, now you're about to go off and leave this atmosphere of this all-boys school and go off to where you will be in high school with young ladies and you'll be facing, behaving with young ladies. And about that, I have nothing to say to you. And everybody laughed. And it was big ha, 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 ha. And I think a lot of us know from the professional world, there it is kind of fashionable to have this sort of um, uh, jocular indifference to the moral, what goes on morally. That's for our wives. And, and, and there's even, we even had, Julie and I were at a party. Uh, it, was, it was stunning to see someone almost sort of preening his his open-mindedness and say, you know, so I talk, he had kind of a little cocky toss of the head. And, yeah, when my daughter got old enough, uh, I said, you know, when you decide that you want to use birth control, you just tell us and, and we'll arrange it for you. And I think he felt very, he was showcasing his, his open-mindedness. And, and that, that kind of indifference, or the other thing that I've seen also is kind of a uh, shrugging the shoulders and kind of a, a resigned surrender. And my daughter came home, we had her friends over, they were dressed in these, uh, I'm not going to describe what he described to me, in the sleepover, and he just kind of, he described it, he was not pleased with it. He, this was not the type A cocky showcasing difference. This was more, geez, what am I going to do? I, things have gone to heck, but, you know, uh, I don't know what my wife is thinking. And, and just kind of letting it go rather than the confident parent leadership by the dad. And then some years later, and it's been about five or ten years, uh, you know, he tells me, comes in and tells me, probably not even remembering the person, yeah, yeah, she showed up on this thing that went viral, and I'm not going to even describe the rest of it, but, you know, at a party after a few drinks, and, um, yeah, it, one thing leads to another. So, um, yeah, and here's one, here's sort of the last point, which is, there is one one little thing that can make this easier for us, where we can sort of step back a bit, and that is coming back full circle. You have your daughters at Oakcrest School. Oakcrest School is imposing standards of dress on your daughters that are very good. It doesn't matter that you we want them to be a half up, half inch higher on the knee or something like that. The point is the message they're getting from this school, from everything about it, not just the dress is that you are, you are women of promise. You are women of potential. And don't sell yourself short by essentially selling your skin to get someone's attraction, or to, whether it's a, a popularity of girlfriends or boys. Have some confidence. Believe in yourself. Think of yourself as what's interior to you and what you're learning here. And so moms and dads, I say this 
having been president of the board of our school and on the board of our school for almost 10 years and seeing again and again good parents who, who, who are in so many respects wonderful people, good friends of us, but when their child is disciplined at the school and told, you can't wear that, and go fix your dress, or it, it happens with boys too in, in different dimensions, get outraged. And you know what? So do And I've been mad at our school before too. I've been ready to quit. You know, no, no more donations for me. How can they say that about my boy? And then you just have to, again, this is, these Aristotelian Thomistic ideas of intellect, Tell the will to calm down that emotion. You know, let's, and then you realize you don't even feel it at the time. You just will yourself, I'm going to take it. It's more important that they learn to respect authority. And also, I know I'm not perfectly knowledgeable about everything my kid does. I'm not objective about my kid. And if one thing you see from being on the board of a school for 10 years is that parents who will say things, yeah, my daughter's dating so-and-so, uh, but I don't think they're doing anything. <laughs> and I've just been getting the discipline report about what, you know, what, was, what was going on. We do not know. I promise you, you do not know what your child does if they are, when they have this alone or when they're out with someone of the opposite sex alone. So you know, our rule is none of these until you're 18 and no one-on-one -on -one dating There's no, uh, in high school. There's no reason for it. All the social skills, all the fun, all the popularity can be had with far less downside risk in group activities, preferably, as you saw from these testimonials, group activities in your home. I know it's hectic. I know, but open up your home, have the parties at your home. It doesn't have to be a palace. It doesn't have to be clean. Just have some popcorn and soft drinks and roll with it. And even an introvert, introvert a, a hobbit at Bag End like me, who has the 13 dwarves come in, can get used to that and actually, as Gandalf says, you know, they're quite a merry lot when you get used to it. <laughs> and they actually become that way. Um, so, uh, where, where was I? I was talking about uh, uh, parents, confident, was confident parent leadership. Uh, oh, yeah, so support school, the school. The school. The yeah, so what we've seen, what we've seen, and, and some best friends of my kids whose parents refused to accept the school discipline. They, in putting aside, did the school call the ball and strike wrong? Maybe they did. That's not the main point. The main point is you support the idea that this cares about these standards and the rest of our culture doesn't, and we respect authority. And we back up the school that, that has done so much for us. And when the parents don't, the spirals that you see those kids go down over the years, and in some cases this has been 15 years, are, are, uh, are yeah, it's tragic. And I want to get into the specifics of it. So, so support the school. They love your children. Uh, they have their best interests at heart. And they may, and I have to say looking back at those times when I was furious at our school for their discipline of my boys and uh, the problem, uh, Paraphrase Churchill, the problems were neither small nor few. Uh, but they were right. And, and, uh, and the best thing I did was to, to quell my, my, my initial reaction. Um, okay, lastly, last two points for dads is coming back to this idea of what Julia said. We can't expect you know, what, we don't, what we don't live or at least 
strive for. So we have to have this unity of life. If we want our daughters to be chaste and modest, do we guard our eyes when we're in a situation that is so common of, you know, where we could be looking? We should think, and a good reference point always, because so many of us do this, Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Think about the Super Bowl. Did you let the Super Bowl ads just run? Or did you do something so that you and your boys were not exposed to Lady Gaga doing whatever she did on the stage? We, I mean, that's just one example of an examination of are we vigilant? Because if we're not vigilant about ourselves, then we can't expect our daughters to believe it when we say these things. In our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. I was not raised Catholic, but when I finally learned about what sexuality was about, I knew implicitly that uh, the, the, the Catholic rules of chastity, and I believed them. I'd never been instructed in them, except by the role model of my father, who never flirted, who never said dirty jokes about the opposite sex. And, uh, um, you know, he might say a cuss word or two, but it was, never, it was never sexual. He never treated sexuality with anything other than, I wouldn't say reverence, because he wasn't a religious man, but with respect or at least uh, no misbehavior. And, and then um, finally, this idea that uh, we have to be forming ourselves. And that is our plug for family enrichment. Julie and I did family enrichment when we were one friendships that began there that were the, the initial congealing point for what became our school. Uh, so that, I think having an objective life coach is important because we are not objective about ourselves. So for most of it, it's a spiritual director, but I highly recommend that. And then the last thing is in between the annual family enrichment courses. By the way, the family enrichment course going on here has begun, but I'm told by Kate, you could still jump on board. The, 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 the train's not moving so fast. So if you talk to her now, you will not regret it. Get, show up, for the, you know, get that case for the November session, and uh, you know, it's, it's, really, it's a great program. Uh, and then the, the monthly spiritual direction. And then lastly, I, I recommend, for my I'm a lawyer. And about two-thirds of my advocacy and two-thirds of the success I've gotten for clients in billion-dollar cases is in writing. So I have to train myself in writing all the time. Just like Magic Johnson used to get up in Michigan at 3 in the morning and, and shoot free throws even when it was freezing cold. Every day I spend 10 minutes studying great writing to continue to hone that skill. Likewise, for parents, we should be doing 10 minutes of fortifying reading like that. And I'll... I'll and where we began, Jim Stenson. He is the platinum standard. He was involved in, um, for 20 years in the Heights School that many of you know, as well as another school. And his whole method is, was about saying, why is that young man such a good leader, such a good student, so kind? I'm going to find out what his parents did. And so he would reverse engineer hundreds of students who to find out what do successful parents do. And he was candid. He his definition of success is they raise children who are confident, competent, and committed to living by Christian principles, or people of character. And he, he, spent, he went on vacations with them, had meals with them, spent weekends with them, uh, and, just, and just went through hundreds of different variables, crossing them out if they weren't done by every single one of those hundreds of families, and came up with about 12 things all successful parents do. It 
we must be doing if we're going to raise children of confidence, competence, and character. So, uh, you know, uh, every, which way and everywhere. But also, Henry had him fighting Martin Luther. He was ghostwriting the tracts against Luther, trying to stem this 500-year-old, you know, eruption of, of Protestantism. As busy as anybody we've ever met. And he had a commute. He had to go from Chelsea by boat to Windsor or, or, or Westminster. And yet, if you read a book that, that was written by one of the top Thomas More scholars, for us, he boiled down the life of Thomas More into 300 pages that's about the layman's life today. How to study for a career, how to find a wife, how to be a good husband, how to be a good professional, and how to raise children, and how to scrutinize and plan the education of your children. He did that down the most meticulous detail. And the book is it's by a guy named Gerard Wegemer, W-E-G-E-M-E-R, W-E-G-E-M-E-R. It's called Thomas More Portrait of Courage. It's essentially a handbook for the lay vocation to marriage and fatherhood in the midst of a busy professional life. I've read it five times, and every time I read it, I come up with 20 more resolutions. Um, so, uh, yes, and, but it all comes down to, again, he was, a, uh, if you've see, ever seen A Man for All Seasons, you know, he, want, he was very attuned to Margaret's education, but when she wanted to marry Will Roper, he said, no, and that's final. <laughs> Not as long as he's a heretic. So it was confident parent leadership, Jim Stenson's term, and it, it always comes back to that. A lot of people are thinking of questions. I forgot one book. And this is on the, this, the subject of explaining Catholic morality or Christian morality for up until 1933 of, of sexuality. Um, the, the best book I've found is called Couples in Love. And it's by Father John Weiss. Again, the spelling is, is, uh, is key because if you, it's so, so unusual. If you find that spelling, you'll find the book. It's W-A-I-S-S. W-A-I-S-S. But Father John, um, who's counseled hundreds and hundreds of young couples and, and dating couples and so on, essentially distills the dissenting voices into two people, a non-practicing Catholic and a, and a secular Jew, who are dating and starting to get a little bit physically intimate and coming to him for advice. And they're pretty, pretty vocal and feisty and combative and challenging uh, these points of Catholic morality. And so he gives that side very reasonable voice, and then he walks them through. And I won't tell you how it comes out at the end, but it's, uh, so it's kind of a page turner because you see this couple, the girl is starting to kind of say, yeah, maybe I should go back to the faith I left. And the boy is kind of, uh, what, you know, what the heck, what's God going to do to us? And, but it's a, it's a great book, and it's, every time I read it, I get new insights and get new confidence semester of a boys' school, and the parents would always go to him because they trusted him because he was a family therapist before he was the headmaster, and they said, you know, what's the right time to give your uh, son a smartphone? He goes, oh, the right time is when you don't care when they watch porn. That's just it. They have a smartphone in their hand. They will watch porn. So, and it doesn't matter your filters and your tracking and stuff. The, another, this is, this is, maybe even a little passe, we, we actually never did 
Well, we did a few little computer games, but not so much the Xbox or the whatever. And it's, we just sort of, just sort of like, wait a minute, who's got time for that? You know, we got fish to fry people. We like, and I always, I would kind of condemn it by saying the only thing lamer than playing Xbox is watching someone playing Xbox. <laughs> you know? So you, instead of coming down with the law, you know, you just sort of say, we got more important, more interesting, more fun, more demanding. Other people are entitled to your time, not just your time. Um, I, I, yeah. Well, another thing too is if you, you just take the, the question you know, on its terms about the, the entertain me, there is something legitimate to that. And I think what we tried to do without ever expressly saying that was our mission is we did try to make our house as fun as possible. Our kids had certain kinds of fun that no other kids had. And uh, other kids would come over to have that fun, whether it was because I would go out and organize a baseball game and you know our kids got to play baseball and, other, and kids from other families would come and play baseball and I would actually pitch 36 innings in a weekend and tore out that, whatever that thing is called there, but, uh, or, or wrestling or monster games or, um, so I, I think, and we also did, we had a, a very conscious program of entertainment in our home where we would show movies, you know, classical movies that have a lot of adventure and fun and good stories, like Sound of Music, like Man for All Seasons, John Wayne movies. We would even show, and this, this was a conscious decision, we would even show the great silent black and white comedies, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and Harold Lloyd. Because first of all, they're extremely well done. They're very funny. The special effects are better than anything today because you know there's no CGI there. When Buster Keaton is rolling log, jumping over rolling logs on a moving train in the general, he's really doing that. And so the children can be, and so what, what does that do? That, that teaches them that they can have fun without all of the CGI and constantly moving pictures. They can essentially learn to be prepared to be contemplatives because they don't need entertainment that's always at high decibel or always flashing images in front of them. Or they can just learn to have entertainment that's just a, a little bit off the mainstream. Ginny, what would you say to that? What would your what would your response be to that in terms of entertaining? Sorry, I just want to say Yeah. My mom had an experience in hospital and she said, nothing has nothing has purpose. Who cares about that? And I said, you know, we also do this and then this and then this and then this. <laughs> she said, Why don't you give it a shot? Let it know what the movie is really mean. And then we ended up turning them off and we had to dance them up to bed. <laughs> True, but I. That's they don't true. undermine anything else, Jenny. <laughs> but that it was actually because if you just Santa brought you a computer and was all excited, and then when those CDs broke, it's like forget this, no, no way. The other thing, though, I think was good, is Martin used to say, and this especially when we would go on vacation, he'd say, "No cheap thrills, no cheap thrills," and we all like the cheap thrills. But for instance, we never go to a water park. Because if you go to the water park, then, you, then you're like, oh, I don't want to go to the creek in grandma's backyard. You know, you can't, you lose the fun of the more natural uh, entertainments when you've been hyperized, you know, by the, so that was sort of a little mantra. Anything, what about entertainment, Jenny? Um, I 
In the big pit of the Greek gallows, my memory of weekends growing up as a family was my mom wasn't part of it because my dad was taking all the kids out someplace and looking back it was such a job. But of course we were oblivious to that as kids. But we would make this, we'd gather around and my dad would have this yellow legal pad and we'd put the plan for the day. And it involved going to like pet stores for birthday parties. But also you all got to choose the things, right? Is it yeah. See, you keep expectations low. Wait. <laughs> there was this one funny story of the entertainment at home. So we do a lot of kind of war themes with Orangeville Lovers. And once my mom got home from Costco and had a whole package of Costco toilet paper, so about probably 100 things in the package. And then she went upstairs, and there it was sitting in the family on the floor. My dad said, oh, great. So we tear open the toilet paper roll. We start chucking it at each other in the family. Ginny did it. You didn't get you didn't get the line. Well, if your friends all jumped off a cliff, would you? I mean, to me, I, that was never a very convincing argument. Um, I mean, but also I remember I was the only one my age, and I was uh, I think it was twelve or thirteen. I can't remember when Jaws came out the first time. And it was a big deal when it came to our small town, and we were everybody was going to the movies, and my and my older brother and sister were going to see Jaws. But she said, well, you're not 13. You can't go to a PG movie. I was literally the only one. And to this day, I've never watched Jaws. I'm <laughs> very proud of it. But, um, but, the, but the point is, is it didn't, I didn't die. I didn't shrivel up. I didn't, I didn't people think they're going, ah, but they, they don't. They, they live still. You can say no, and it won't kill them. <laughs> and, What's that? Oh, I, I didn't allow it. Yeah. I just didn't. I, we, that, there were two, re, I say very few rules, but I, Ginny actually reminded me of this earlier, so I'm not trying to misrepresent or put, a, put things. But the two, th if they, if our kids misbehaved, they screwed up, sometimes very seriously. They had consequences, but if they lied about it, the boom came down. The, the integrity was much more important, I thought, than, than the misbehavior. Um, and, and the respect. I just, we just honestly did. And so how do, you, how do you get them to stop moving their mouth and yelling at you? You know, 
we just sent you to your room and we just sent you to your room, right? Like, I'm not going to listen to it. Talk to the hand. Yeah. Just, I just didn't engage. That. Yeah, but I mean, that's one thing. I, I don't even know how we did it, but the, there is a zero tolerance policy and always has been with our kids for disrespect. And, and Jim Stenson talks about this where that's where husband and wives can be great teammates because sometimes oh, yeah. there'll be a, they'll, like, uh, we have a 13-year-old. You have to be home by midnight. I mean, because, I mean, we can all remember. So you get home by midnight. That means you're speeding. You're, and then, oh, well, I'm, you're grounded for a day for every minute you're late after curfew or whatever. I was never interested in parenting like that. That just seemed like bookkeeping to me. Uh, it, it was more the principle, the character. Well, where are you going? Uh, when time is that over? Oh, okay, with traffic, that means you'll be back about so-and-so? Yeah, okay. Okay, see you then. It was never, because, because if you have this arbitrary curfew, you can get into a lot of trouble from 10 to 11.30 if, if the event is over at 9.30. Uh, you know, and just, there's really no need. On the flip side, you could, if the event or what, the party or whatever, and oh, I won't get on back in until 1.30, okay. Um, actually, this, we, I don't think we had this so much trouble with you guys, but I grew up with a friend whenever we'd I'd go out to an event with her when we were in high school and we'd come back, that father said, you have to come and kiss me goodnight. So he would smell their breath. That was the whole thing. Um, so um, I, just, I do think she, I don't know if Martin um, read the rest of that email, but she said it did teach her just precisely that, not having a curfew was an exercise in a limited way of learning to use, to own it. I'm a responsible person. I drive a car. I, you know, I need to get home. And, and also, I think Jim Stinson talked about we get home at a responsible time. He thought all family rules should begin with we. This is how we behave. We're not pushing the limits. We're behaving like normal human beings. I mean, kids are kids. I, I get that. But you just want to give them a chance to, to live up to those high expectations. It was interesting. I, I didn't even realize that we didn't impose a curfew. So I guess you don't realize what you don't do. But but every, but almost every kid who emailed in to Miss Bowles, and there were about five who did, all mentioned that, which is kind of interesting. But and one of them said, "But you made clear to me, this is one of the boys, that you you would always repeat the mantra: nothing good happens after midnight." So I kind of, uh, and I must have, I probably I have enough thoughts on that that I probably. And then with the girls, I would talk about you know no alcohol around boys, and, and we we let them drink in moderation with us at home, but we you know we tell them how dangerous that was outside the home. Ginny, what I mean, I this is something where I haven't thought much about it. But what, what would you say about that? What? <laughs> but I but I will say these are not these are not arbitrary things done in a vacuum. You have created that relationship of affection and, and attention with your children. You, they know you have their best interests at heart. You love them. You have a home where they actually want to come back to. I mean, this is, it's not done in a vacuum. It's, it's in the context of a, of a loving, supporting family. And they, 
they know you're not going to be arbitrary unless, of course, you're arbitrary. <laughs> so. I relished it. <laughs> I mean, it was again part of the humor. I mean, if I if I do this, da 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 da, give a little spank spank. It comes from uh, one of those Snow White. But I mean, so I would kind of joke about it, you know. That, uh, uh, but I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I get Jim Stenson says that. Corporal punishment or not is not one of those 12 things that you have to do that good parents who raise successful children, some do, some don't. But I did. But in terms of punishment, um, I don't think we felt any we, inhibition. No, but, but what we did try to do, we were, we were more severe or strict or whatever you want when they were little. So by the time they were older, it, it was less necessary, I think. We, we were very, uh, as someone once reminded me, raising children is like um, putting uh, money away in a savings account. It really pinches at the time, but the returns on an investment are, are worth, the, worth the effort. So it really, um, we, we made things very clear when they were young, so when they got older, there was less challenge. Although they still screw up, I mean. They yeah. <laughs> but even when they do, and we've had some some kind of appalling screw-ups. But I would say after the age of, I don't know if it's nine or 10, we're pretty light punishers. Yeah. And it's not like out of philosophy, it's just at that point, it's a different, it's a different way. And I haven't even ever thought of this explicitly, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm a pretty ready spanker at, at in you know five, six, seven, eight. But after that, I wouldn't even think of it. And not like I'm against it in principle, I just, just is get them to own their own behavior. You, you know, why did you do that? You know, why? And just keep, keep asking, well, why? But then why? And get them to really own, instead of being defensive, 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 and just trying to get out of trouble, and like, I'll just say the right thing so mama will leave me alone. But get them to, to, to own it. I, I remember uh, saying something to my child once, and I said, what made you think this was okay? And she said, I didn't. I mean, they do know right from wrong. We still, we're weak, we're human. But, but that was kind of, she just had to own it and, and know what she did was wrong and she, wanted, she didn't want to do it wrong anymore. You know? Instead of, if I had just said, you're grounded, she'd just seethe with resentment and, and start planning her next you know, misbehavior. So I'm curious about um, chores and um, you know, our family life and our existence. I wonder how, is there any amounts that have to be paid? Or is it really just chores and how are they divvied up in relation to how much they have to do? Well, I could, I certainly, I could never do allowance because that would require me to have like cash on hand on a regular basis and that wasn't going to happen. Um, 
and um, you're an impaired creditors. How can we pay our children? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but also, I didn't like the idea of tying allowance to chores because because people, we're a family, all in. This is what is required to get this family, you know, out the door, and we get to get to your baseball games, and we get to. But if we don't have this, like, sorry, can't have a baseball game, you know, just it was more. Am I am I representing this fairly? It, it was more. We just, well, that's not my chore. <laughs> it's not my chore to feed you three meals a day, you know. <laughs> but I mean, it just. It, or I, I, what I really couldn't tolerate is say, well, I've done my chores, so therefore what? I, when I say I'm done, do I not have to, you know, do your laundry? You know, I think you just it, again, just sort of saying, the the family requires it, and this is not. Your uh, the chore charts. Well, once I did try chore charts, once. Yeah, <laughs> it just it was a lot of, um, t and I just I didn't like the I didn't like the mentality like I am done. I no longer have to serve this family. This service and and I and I think frankly, that's not good training for a marriage. My father used to say, you know people say marriage is fifty fifty. He said no, it's a hundred percent a hundred percent. You've got to be there. You have to have that. Uh, Sense that what what is good for the whole the, the greater good, but to, to get to, to kind of like the basics is we do we generally do have especially for the younger kids, uh, one or two assigned chores. Yeah. They're no, you know they're not uh, done with great reliability, and uh, and we don't enforce it with with very good vigilance. But there is a spirit of service and an idea that um, we're all going to. Yeah, we're all in this together. You know, after, and, and again, we try to make it fun. Like after, uh -huh. after the big family feast of Thanksgiving or Christmas, we have, we play for, those, for, those, for those who go back to the 60s, we play the Guess Who. And you know, the greatest hits of the Guess Who. And we just love singing along to that. Ginny likes to hit the good notes. Or we like to have her hit the good notes. And we, and we just all clean up together. And, so, and, there, and if, if I would get them all to help me with a big yard chore, then I would take them all to get a malt at Sonic afterward or something like that. So we, we, we always did try to couple, because we believe, sometimes it's hard to believe, but we, we, we deeply believe, want to believe, want our children to believe, that if we give of ourselves, there's a reward and there's an eternal reward that's even better than we can imagine. And so you try to inculcate that instinct or that way of thinking in childhood by saying, okay, we're all going to, like in that plan for the day Ginny would talk about, I would always have in there, we're going to go pray together, some, some amount that was okay for children, and we're going to do a little service chore. Okay, and then what's the fun things we want to do? Every kid got to, to list a fun thing that we would do. So they would associate, yeah, it's a fun day, we do a little service, we do a little prayer, and we go, have, we go do all these fun things. Yeah. And I almost started crying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we were talking about this a little I was embarrassed, so I was crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, we know that raising children is kind of a long-term reward thing. And as we see it eventually, they say, especially when you start having grandchildren, you okay, <laughs> that <laughs> that <worked> out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or sometimes I know our kids have come to us about six weeks after we graduate. 
thank you for Oakland. Thank you for the Pisces who expressed me. And who said got out and saw what other children had yeah. in so many ways. They said. But um, anyway, I think it is a long-term thing. It is something that you kind of alluded to when you said you don't take it as a sect. You have to be willing to take stuff that you can't have it like that. And be angry at you. And, and it's the whole thing. And then making mistakes and getting mad and all that kind of stuff. But I was very by this. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It. Thank you. And we have a lovely reception here. Oh, they should have had that first. <laughs> we really thank you so much. Thank you. Our pleasure. Yeah, you betcha. Yeah, sure. 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 Sure.
people were hitting for five people in the house. So, so I just went follow that. When I when I put it, everybody did. Like you think you have to stack, 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 stack. They may not believe that that's a wall, but when they see bricks,